for June 19th, 2017. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 468. The shopping cart is an allegory of the soul. Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. You know, I try to make that sound uh, a little spontaneous every time. In in acting, they call it the illusion of the first time. You know, you have lines, but you try to make them sound human. You try to make them sound like a person actually saying them rather than just reciting uh, off a thing. I don't know how I do. You can write in and, and tell me in the uh, in the the podcast on the show notes and the comments on the show notes for this podcast. Uh, if you're new to the show, let me tell you, the overthinkers are, well, I guess in a way they're like your smart, funny friends from the internet, and uh, we're never happier than we're when we're hanging out together, when we're hanging out with you, uh, and when we're talking about uh, the things that, that make us excited, the things that make us happy, the movies, the TV shows, the, the uh, music, the comics, all the things that, that we enjoy. It's a conversation that this group of friends has been having for decades, and it's a conversation that we're very glad to continue now uh, in your company. I'm Matt Rather, and in my company tonight are overthinkers Peter Fenzel. Hello, Pete. Hey, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. And Mark Lee. I'm sorry, Matt. There's a cleanup on aisle five, and I must go attend to it now. Well, that's that's funny you should mention that, Mark, because for one night only, the Overthinking It podcast is becoming the Internet's premier business and technology podcast. That's right. We're going to cover all the new announcements at WWDC. We're going to cover all the startup news, and we're going to cover all the acquisitions. Uh, especially- we're calling it. We're calling it over disrupting it. <laughs> yeah, we are. Uh, uh, yeah, we're we're podcast disruptors. We're disrupting our own podcast, and it you know it um it struck us this week when we got the news that Amazon was acquiring uh, Whole Foods for a an un an ungodly sum of billions of dollars in the like low tens of billions, I think, uh, that uh, we had never really talked about grocery stores uh, with one very important exception. Isn't that right, Pete? Uh, Yes, we've talked about the greatest television series that's been on TV during this golden age, this twilight of the golden age of television. Uh, That being guys, guys, grocery games, but these guys, grocery games. Yeah. These are no grocery games. This is grocery serious business. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, this Amazon acquisition of um, of Whole Foods, and and uh, you know it's an interesting thing to talk about, right? The, the, this sort of falls more on the culture side of pop culture rather than on the the pop side because it's not you know a Marvel movie. Though I would like to see the Marvel superhero movie that takes place entirely in a grocery store. I mean, I think you could do a lot of uh, you could do a lot of great stuff, um, mostly with destruction and like different different kind of ways of having a having a food fight. But Whole Foods, especially, is a uh, you know it's a peaceful, it's an upscale uh, food store. It's a, where you get you know twelve dollar bottles of kombucha or uh, you know I don't know a, a jar of fig paste or you know fairly traded coffee or something something like that right all all the things that the red states love to hate us for uh all embodied in this one store you know the the uh they're generally pretty nice they're in upscale neighborhoods they have upscale uh you know trappings and and food samples and things like this and in general they're just a uh an easygoing stress-free place to be isn't that right mark no no absolutely not <laughs> go on <laughs> whole foods is my nightmare hellscape grocery stores in general are actually Wait, now uh, yeah I, I know right this is not a common experience i don't think and actually this was not my experience going to the grocery store uh growing up in the suburbs of alabama um but I think, I mean, my experience with, with Whole Foods and with grocery stores in New York in particular, I think uh, will illustrate a lot of the, the things that we're talking about, sort of the, the the cultural space that the grocery store occupies right now. 
um, and in our relation to you know Amazon buying Whole Foods, and it will also uh, probably hopefully serve as a jumping point to talk about grocery stores in as we see them in movies and television as well. All right, so uh, we'll start with my particular neuroses with going to uh, in general the grocery store in New York City, um, which is that. This is not like going to the suburbs in the rest of America where you just kind of you, you trundle up in the car. You have the place where you go and uh, you have wide aisles and you just kind of take your time and you get your stuff and uh, you get in and out reasonably quickly. Uh, going to the grocery store in New York City, for me at least, uh, means choosing to either um, elbow my way through a crowded, expensive Whole Foods where I'll have to stand in line for a long time or go to the smaller, even more expensive grocery store that's also in my neighborhood and run the high likelihood of not finding the very specific thing that I've been sent to the grocery store to buy. Um, another just sort of like a very context specific thing about my experience with grocery stores is that we do a lot of our grocery shopping uh, through Fresh Direct. You know, there's a whole other thing to talk about there. Basically, you know, it gets delivered to us in boxes. Um, and when I need to go to the grocery store, sometimes, not always, but sometimes it's because we're cooking something. And my wife is an excellent and ambitious cook. And she uh, needs a very specific ingredient for the dish that we're uh, that we're preparing. And I'm going to throw one example out there. Uh, miso paste. So, uh, Matt, rather, if you were go to go to the grocery store and were to find miso paste, do you know roughly where you would go? I do. Yeah. In a couple different grocery stores. I, I know where to, where I would go. Then you like, are, you are, you are in a much better place than I was going in there because, uh, you, you know, like it is, you know, if somebody asked me to get milk, I have a rough sense of where to get that. Um, you know, the, the breakfast cereal, it's in the cereal aisle. There's no miso paste aisle. Um, I didn't no, have a great conception there, of what yeah. miso paste looks like. You know, in terms of like, is it a can? Is it a jar? Is it something that should be refrigerated? Is it a dry ingredient? I had no idea. Um, it should be. So, it should be refrigerated. It's perishable. Yeah, you are correct. Yes, I eventually found it in the refrigerated aisle. Um, and uh, as a sign of the, the crippling social anxiety that has been uh, uh, thrust upon us by the digital age, I don't want to, you know, actually approach a human being um, in the grocery store and ask them, "Excuse me, do you know where the miso paste is?" I'm like googling it to try to figure, try to get a sense of it. Um, and eventually I find it and much to my chagrin and horror, I find out that there is not one, not two, but three types of miso paste that you can get, um, red, white, and yellow. My wife did not specify, my wife did not (laughs) specify, no, so close red, white, and blue, but no, this is not America. This is whole foods. My wife did not specify what color of miso paste I was supposed to get. No one at whole foods could help me out. With this, um, after Googling and I think uh, breaking down and just uh, in, a, in a in a sobbing in tears, curled up in the fetal position in the corner, uh, I call my wife and have to consult her. I, I just, you know, I, I couldn't do this on my own. Was it <laughs> red? What was, the, the, was the answer red? I think the answer was white. Um, uh-huh. I'm honestly not sure. I, I, I blacked out there somewhere and I've blocked a lot of this out of my memory. Um, and, uh, you know, I finally picked it up in viewer things. And again, stood in long on a long line, uh, had to put up with the awfully confusing, uh, now serving number 20, you know, red aisle counter two. this like, you know, automated machine which tells you where to go. Again, something that's very anxiety, uh, inducing and stressful for me about going to whole foods. Um, I suffered through that and doing the, being routed to the wrong line, the route, wrong cashier and, and, uh, and being yelled at by my fellow consumers and the cashiers. Um, and, and then I check out, and I, I I guess I got the right kind of miso. I ate something that night. I'm really not sure what and it was. It, was it delicious? And did it have a did it have a kind of uh, steaky mushroomy earthiness that was, um, you know, just just imparted a, a huge depth of flavor to the dish? The the flavor of umami. I, I mean, I, I mostly had the taste of, of shame and, and disappointment <laughs> from my experience. At, you did, you didn't Holford's. say you didn't say oh mommy umami. No, I did not. I wish I did. Um, so that is the very peculiar <laughs> vantage point from which I look out upon the hellscape that is American grocery stores like, and I, Whole Foods. I, I don't think suggest, my experience is, t- is typical, but it yeah. is a viewpoint. <laughs> I'd suggest that your that your experience has more to do with being in New York 
uh, right? That then it has to do with being then it has to do with being at grocery stores as they're experienced in the the less dense areas of the country, right? Because uh, like, I, yeah, I mean it's it's that and the fact that I'm so frankly subordinate to my wife in all manners of uh, of things in the kitchen, um, where you know like uh, I, I'm really the one who says like I'm going to come up with this elaborate recipe and I'm going to find these things here and I will take responsibility for these things rather than um, uh, feeling the, like the, the the crushing sense of inadequacy for not being able to find the right ingredient. Yeah, I guess. I, I mean, store. like I've I've dined at your house, Mark, and and you eat well, and that's not nothing. <laughs> so two uh, things, right? One is that your food culture seems to have outpaced your cultural experience of getting food. Huh. There's, there's a sense that miso paste is a change for you because you said you were comfortable at grocery stores in Alabama when you were growing up. Correct. Right? Yes, because you get the things like, you know, the chicken and the beef. Right. So, so if you're eating chicken, you would be fine, right? Because it, it, it's something you're comfortable with. It, it's part of the culture that you're used to and that your behaviors have kind of shaped around. In the grocery yeah. Right? The ironic thing as well is that both my wife and I are Asian and that, you know, miso paste is something that's fairly commonly used in Asian cuisine. Just not something I would shop at the grocery store for because in Alabama, well, forget about finding miso paste. Yeah, well, and then the other side of it is that the user experience, the customer experience of the grocery store maybe hasn't caught up with the food culture experience. Because it really struck me when you said that you Googled the food you were looking for, because that's probably what, I mean, again, we don't even know at this point whether the purchase of Whole Foods by Amazon is going to get finalized. But when you think about what would it mean to the cultural experience of being at a grocery store or depicting a grocery store after it's been purchased by Amazon and conceivably the industry has been disrupted and changed because of that, a big one would be, well, why do I have to walk? walk to different aisles to find the food why can't i just query the food that i want and have like a robot bring it to me from a back room right um that and oh, that, God, that i would love just, that yes keep talking pete i want to hear so, more so about just, this uh, utopia I'm thinking describing. Of, so when i'm thinking about so think about the hurt locker you guys have seen the hurt locker right yeah. well i've seen lethal weapon it's the same thing right it's the same thing, except there's one scene in the Hurt Locker that isn't in Lethal Weapon, which is that at the end of the movie, he goes to the grocery store, and he's come home from Iraq, and he this is a bomb disposal guy, and he goes to the grocery store, and this isn't really a, a spoiler per se, uh, and, he, and there's a moment where he sees all of the cereals, and he's like horrified and shocked, right? And there's this commentary that's happening in this moment without words that the world of living a quote-unquote regular life in America has fallen out of this guy's reach in his years that he's been at war. Like, he just can't tolerate the degree of choices that are in the grocery store. And it's interesting to think of that, because that, that, when you think about America versus Russia in the 80s and how people even articulated the difference between the two cultures, a big one is we have grocery stores, and they and their grocery stores don't have a lot of stuff. Like, ours have full shelves. Right. And theirs don't have a lot of stuff. So many experiences of grocery store in, in popular culture are about the abundance and proliferation of the things that are on the shelves of the grocery store. And here we're facing a reality where both the economics of the grocery store might mean that the days of the shelf are numbered, the days of the ample shelf. Right. Because it may no longer be efficient to keep things on a shelf. Uh, in, in the, all their proliferation with their frontage, right, with their packaging that's made to be spotted, right, with, like, the, the cereal boxes with the eyes looking down so that the children look up at them and they're like, Mommy, Mommy, get me that, right? There's this idea that those days might be numbered. And then there's this also idea that guys from Alabama, like Mark, I'm choosing to identify Mark intersectionally in this, in this context as a guy from Alabama <laughs> rather than as a first-generation Korean-American, right, like... Uh, um, or first generation American native, first generation native born American of Korean descent, but a guy from Alabama is now eating miso paste if he can, whereas previously that would not be something he would be getting at the grocery store. And so these two trends might be coming together to really collide on this experience of walking the aisle. Thanks, Pete, for really validating the anxiety that I feel and, and but placing it in the context of a broader thing and not just uh, my own neuroses. I appreciate like that. Your, your PTSD for being in a bomb disposal unit in Iraq. Is that what it is? 
Also that. <laughs> That's why you can't tolerate it. A yeah. Bit. So I, so uh, there's a lot of places we can go with here, but maybe let's let's pick key on that on the on the, on the the movie piece that you brought up brought it up right. Um, grocery stores in movies are so often um, uh, used as a stand-in for like domesticity, for abundance. Um, for the the fruits of American capitalism. Well, Pete right? brought up and- Pete brought up the sorry, I don't mean to to stomp you, Mark. There, but Pete brought up the Americans, and in the in the recent season of Americans, uh, abundance in a Russian gro- in a Soviet grocery store is taken as a sign of suspicion. Right. If you have too much crap on the shelves, you must be, you know, you must be bribing somebody or you must be doing something, something untoward. So I think, I mean, I feel like the abundance is both a site of, uh, is both a site of great pride and also a little bit of anxiety, uh, sort of guilt over the, uh, uh, kind of guilt over the high standard of living, right? A, A sort of first world, first world guilt. But then also like in the miso pace, in the miso pace conversation, um, we want, we want variety, we want abundance, but we want a, a kind of constrained abundance, right? Like it would be cool to have 20 varieties of hot dogs, uh, but if you have uh, different foods that you don't know what they are, like, you know, miso paste or tahini or, you know, I, I'm trying to think of other. I don't know why they're all uh, why they're all like pastes or uh, or sauces or mixes that I'm that I'm thinking of. But um, well, they have no shape. Sauces have no shape, so right. you can't learn what they are as a child, right? Oh, fair <laughs> enough. Ketchup, yeah. mayo. <laughs> um, right, yeah. Like, like different kinds. Of, I mean, honestly, there there really is only one ketchup. Like Heinz ketchup is a perfect food. Uh, it's it, I don't know. It doesn't taste anything like anything else. It tastes like Heinz ketchup. But the the, um, the the you know you know what I'm saying, right? Like more ketchups would be okay. More mustards is certainly okay. Uh, even some different mayonnaises are are okay. But like once you start having aioli. That kind of abundance, that's suspect, right? That's and that's a sign of sort of of cultural change. So like we're comfortable with with abundance, uh, but only only within certain only within certain limits, only when it's an abundance where we can kind of get our hands around the the constraints of it. But but I'm sorry, Mark, we, we left you in the aisle with uh, Lebowski buying a carton of milk and paying for it with a check. Um, but you, I didn't mean to I didn't mean to to interject and ruin your flow there. No, 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 not at all. Uh, I mean, just to, to go back to what I was talking about before, then in terms of, you know, what means to be in a grocery store with characters in a movie. I mean, like, there's no, you know, one specific meaning for it. But so often, um, it, it speaks to uh, a, 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 a certain uh, belonging in a social order, I, I think, maybe is a good way to put it, um, because, you know, that's the social order is how we got the abundance. Um, I'm thinking in particular of uh, the ending from The Stepford Wives, um, which uh, we can include a link to it in the show notes. Um, uh, spoilers for The Stepford Wives. Um, all, the, all the women become... Uh, robots as a symbol of uh, suburban conformity. Um, and the movie ends with all of the separate wives in the grocery store passing each other, um, seeing and being seen, right? The sort of thing, you know, again, the uh, the social conformity, the, the, the social order. Um, and in a very sterile, very orderly, um, very brightly lit and clean grocery store. Um, and even when a grocery store is, is kind of perverted in something like, let's say, Hot Fuzz, right, where there's a, there's a massive... Uh, Gun, ba- gun battle in there, it still, uh, again, serves a similar purpose of reminding you of the, the social order that allows for the abundance. Um, and, you know, so the hot fuzz is all about um, the, the corrosive effects of that social order, actually. So um, and those are my thoughts of, like, you know, like what it means to be in a grocery store in a movie. Uh, does, does that ring true to you guys? Or yeah. does it mean something else to you? There, so there are, a couple, there are a couple of things going on here. And I think that we can think of this in terms of a couple of important nexus points. In and and they're both individual and relational uh, in movies, right? So, or uh, in kind of dramatic storytelling. So, the first is choosing, 
Right. Well, okay, set aside. There's there is a there is a kind of a meta grocery consideration, which is the relationship between the grocery store and the home. Uh, going like go, who gets sent to the grocery store? Um, who like Mark? You know, has to to navigate the grocery store. Maybe like there's a whole kind of set of '80s comedies, or maybe even more recently than that, where it's like, oh my God, the father is acting like the mother and doing the grocery shopping there's so much social change guys so much <laughs> um but that like so that's a but let's call that that's all meta grocery uh all meta grocery concerns right the kind of the larger reflection uh on gender roles on domesticity and on kind of uh the who does the um you know who does the kind of the work the the homemaking work of food provision but the the uh the actual just just dealing with bracketing the whole grocery uh phenomenon right okay so a couple things one is choosing standing at a uh standing at a shelf with different versions of the same thing and it's important that they're the same but that they're different uh they're like red white and yellow miso paste, right? They're all miso paste, <laughs> but they're, they may be fundamentally different in, in you know, some characteristic that uh, will turn out to be important for the, the food being prepared, right? I mean, to go a step beyond that, within the red miso paste, there are like three different brands of it with a different, uh, like, with a different Japanese guy. Uh, on the front, uh, conveying a different sense of authenticity <laughs> with a different stereotypical line drawing caricature on the uh, on the front of the the package of of miso paste, right? And that this is you know um, uh, that that there's actually like this is a sort of paradox of choice moment, right? Like that that uh, uh, when you when you get it, there's uh, there's social science behind the idea of like how many choices is the right number of choices, how many choices becomes just uh, just overwhelming, and so so that's it. Uh, okay, another nexus point. I'm just going to list these out, and we can either ignore them or take them in whatever order you like, uh, or go in whatever direction. Another nexus point is the parent child interaction um in in the grocery store like i want i want that i want the sugary cereal i want candy i want this and the parent having to you know be sort of the voice of responsibility and society and like the way that that interaction happens is an important interaction there is the cart versus cart uh uh, interaction like where where you are dealing with kind of a fellow citizen uh, and sort of negotiating the boundaries of semi public semi private space of access to resources uh, of things like this right cart versus cart uh, and then finally there 's the uh, consumer versus cashier right sort of uh interaction that that is a, a final nexus point i guess the parking lot also if you have a uh if you have a um uh if you have a, a grocery store that, that you're driving to and there's a great scene i think it's in steel magnolias where spoiler alert the older the older woman uh rear-ends the uh, the younger woman who steals uh, who steals her parking space is that is that right? Have I got that that movie right? Um, but the uh, the uh, the at the cashier right like is a moment of of huge anxiety right so so all of these things have to do with kind of negotiating relationships and provision uh and like kind of disposition of resources um and a kind of status a kind of status thing like the 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 soda sopa south park season uh where uh uh kenny's neighborhood gets gentrified does a great parody of the would you like to donate a dollar to help um you know some laudable social cause uh at the at the cashier and the kind of the the anxiety and the performance of virtue all the stuff around that like these these things are sort of these things are sort of fraught and they're very freighted with um with a lot of meaning and that makes it i mean that makes it useful because if you want to deal with 
you know, beyond just the social change of men in the grocery store, <laughs> what what will uh, what will ever happen? You know, what will have ever happen next? In former Soviet Union, product chooses you. The um, the whole uh, uh, the whole kind of panoply of different kinds of interactions make it a good set of tools for storytelling. I mean, I'll just pick up a couple of those uh, uh, parent versus child as well as consumer versus cashier. Let's not forget the home alone grocery store scene, mm, right? right. Um, where uh, a, a young child who is clearly unattended by an adult, um, you know, faces the judgment um, of the adult cashier um, and, uh, you know, passes that test um, uh, as a sign of independence and acceptance in, uh, in, in society. I would also add to the list the choice between the thing that you want to get versus the thing that you have to get, which I think is part of the negotiation of the grocery store and part of how the grocery store frames it, the all of the semantic information for you, which reminds me of the grocery store scene from Zombieland where they go in looking for Twinkies because they don't expire. And there's this sort of gory party of violence, which seems of a piece with this idea that we're, when the world ends, we're just going to get to eat Twinkies, right? We're going to get to have the thing that we wanted rather than the thing that we had to get. Uh, and that this is all enabled by this particular space where all these sorts of conflicts happen. I was, uh, I think I was wrong about the, the parking lot scene. It's fried green tomatoes, not steel magnolias. And- <laughs> I, I wasn't willing to speak up for it. I wasn't sure. So <laughs> I sort of vaguely remembered Kathy Bates, but I didn't think that was enough information to, yeah. to really take it one way or the other. Yeah. It's Ka- Kathy Bates. Uh, absolutely. Like, uh, going crazy, having a, having a road rage, having a road rage moment. Anyway, um, it's yeah, from that, the director's cut of misery. It's what she does for the first half an hour of the director's cut of misery. <laughs> it just gets mad at people at the grocery store, and then she goes home and hobbles James Con with a hammer or whatever. Oh, oh. <laughs> so so I mean, this is, this is an interesting thing because we're sort of talking about abundance, right? Like the idea that that and that very sort of uh, that American narrative of like you get to pick, you're an individual, you're uh, one of a kind, you're unique, you can have whatever you you want there's so much here for you and also this sort of like uh uh this societal voice i guess that's what it is like the the uh at, at almost every stage in the grocery store there's an individual that uh that meets society and that's that's the the sort of the the interesting part of it right you can think of the the child and the parent in the shopping cart the shopping cart is a little allegory of the soul right where you have the <laughs> you have the uh you have the child which is the appetitive part of the soul uh with drives and desires right and you have the parent who is the rational part of the soul this is uh in in greek philo- ancient greek philosophy it's uh it's usually a, a uh, horses in a charioteer, and the chariot is the soul, right? Like the the um, here, right? It's like because who who doesn't have that that voice in them, sort of screaming out for uh, screaming out for sugary cereal, and that voice. I mean, that voice is it's very you know it's subtle and it's it, there's a lot going on. It's a little bit overdetermined actually because the, the whole thing, um, like. There, there's a, a craving for sensation. You know, the the uh, sugary cereal is just a, a better jolt of sensation uh, uh, versus like kashi or you know whatever crap you people eat in the morning. <laughs> I I too, by you people I mean non paleo dieters because I eat a fatty breakfast, a hot fatty breakfast. Um, Right there's that, and then there's uh, there's also a sense in which like the food is a uh, the food is a kind of coping mechanism, right? Like it's uh, perhaps maladaptive, but still very effective sort of emotional uh, uh, solve salve, right? Uh, that that. I don't know, speaks to some sort of very, very deep uh, sense of sort of longing or some sense of kind of need uh, inside of us. And that that can, you know, that that can be um, very, you know, very comforting to, to sort of indulge 
right? Indulge that. And that's what the, you know, that's what the child represents in, in, in the cart. And the, um, the, uh, the parent, you know, is there to kind of moderate those desires and moderate those, those impulses. Uh, and this can be done creatively um this can be done by substitution right like by you know saying you know no you can't have the uh, the new all marshmallow lucky charms but i love you right <laughs> which is seems like a pretty poor trade off but you know all right uh or like okay i'm going to steal one red cinnamon bear from the you know from the free candy from the you know the d- bins of candy things that you are supposed to weigh in the put in the bags and weigh and and you can have this you can have this one you know uh by sort of substituting a, a lesser um a lesser gratification for the sort of longed for uh, fantasy of total gratification that the that the captain captain crunch um, represents or frosted frosted flakes. I could get my mom to go as far as rice krispie treats. She had a she had a rule that uh, sugar had to be the third or subsequent ingredient. Uh, if it was the first or second ingredient in the breakfast cereal, um, mm. then that breakfast cereal was, was off the table. So she, you know, it wasn't like, uh, wasn't like we were eating steel cutouts every morning, but the, the, she did have a line. She drew, she drew it. It was at the third item. My mother did not have that line, which is why we got cinnamon toast crunch for most, uh, breakfasts. Um, and this is also why I had a bit of a childhood obesity problem. But hey, that's neither here nor there. I, I'm interested to talk more about this little allegory of the soul concept you're bringing up here, Matt. Um, because I was thinking, well, okay, so you you know you get your shopping cart, you go through the journey, and you check out. Is that uh, uh, allegorically representative of entering the world and exiting the world? I don't think it is. Um, it, it's it's an allegory for some other sort of trial that you go through, or just like a struggle, I guess to to provision and to provide, but it's temporary. You pass through it and yeah. it's over, and then you then you come back to the other side. So, uh, how, uh, Pete, maybe it sounds like you might have an idea about what um, the journey through the supermarket might be an allegory for. I mean, it, it could be an odyssey, right? Mm. If, if the, the odyssey is, is the movement of the individual, right? I guess so you, in the odyssey, you have an individual who's sort of part of a group and ventures out into the world and and, and, and experiences not a, I guess more of what you might think of as an individuality and individuation the, the idea of the contender right that this is a, a role that a person can have is to themselves face trials right and, and this this idea which has formed so much of the core of Western literature and now world literature this idea of a hero facing trials is one that seems to me similar to the grocery store because you know, you go to the grocery store because the the tribe sort of sends you there, right? And if you go alone, then it's very sad. <laughs> if you go to the grocery <laughs> store by yourself, it's like, okay, I got to do this thing. I mean, for me, uh, just as a little sidebar, I, I, I think of the grocery store culturally as a very bleak and horrifying kind of place, even though I don't necessarily feel that way about the grocery store when I go myself. But when I go with somebody else on their trip, I think it's bleak and horrifying. Uh, because for me, I think when you think about the journey, I think about the aisles, right? And everything's bound up and everything's directed. When you go into the grocery store and you go from being part of a sort of responsibility that's either collectively held or has a sort of sense of domesticity to it because it's your food and you need to eat it, uh, it's, it's sort of less impulse-driven than ordering out. And so and it's, there's this planning and this nesting that's happening, and you sort of leave this tribe and leave this home, and you go to this place where you contend with things. And maybe part of why the grocery store is so horrifying is that the child is the – you say the child is the soul? <laughs> like the child is the person who gets to experience the grocery store in the way that we might hope all humans get to live, which is by sort of seeing things and deciding whether they want them or not. Right. Like seeing like that's the sort of prelapsarian Edenic experience of like, you know, you know, he she saw she plucked, she ate all that stuff. Right. Yeah, that's, like, right. Like, because yeah. the the in in um, uh, in Genesis, their their job was gardening, not farming. Right. And that's very different. You know, in gardening, you like pick things, <laughs> you know, you get there. Right. right. There's just an abundance before you and you select uh, and rather than farming where you sort of till the soil in the sweat of your brow and, and so on. 
Yeah. So, so the child parent together as a unit in the grocery store places the adult in the role of the media, the sort of moderator and diminisher of desire and the child as the engine of desire, right? The child wants things and the parent has to not want things. And who wants to just leave their house for the purpose of not wanting things? Yeah. That's not a great way to leave your house. Uh, but if you think about it like Odysseus and his crew, right? And, the, and like the cattle of, of, uh, of, of um, Helios, right? Where the crew want to eat the cattle, but Odysseus knows he can't. And that's why he's the only one who survives. And this is repeated over and over again, where sometimes Odysseus encounters something like Calypso, uh, where, oh, great, this is awesome. You know, I get to hang out with... And so I do sometimes miss up the Odyssey and the Iliad. So, uh, the, sorry, the Odyssey and the Aeneid. So please uh, forgive me if I do that. But Odysseus in Calypso... There is certainly gratification that takes place for a great long time, where Odysseus gets a, a lot of what he wants, uh, but then he decides he needs to move on because he has this greater thing that he needs to do, right? And there's times where, so there's times where, like, Odysseus has his crewmen uh, bind him to the mast because he wants to hear the sounds of the sirens, right? He's the one who has to be able to hear them. Why? Because he he's the child in the shopping cart, and he wants to see the sugary cereals, right, I guess, right? Because that's part of his interaction with the world. But then, like, Odysseus and his crew, throughout the course of the Odyssey, mediate similar sorts of retention-expulsion experiences of, like, desire and denial, right? And then denial is associated with the sort of continence that it would take to be a sort of patriarchal social leader, Right, a creator, uh, like uh, somebody who can protect a home from all the suitors, has to be somebody who can delay gratification, right, for some period of time. The suitors can't, but Odysseus is sort of greater than that, right? But at the same time, if Odysseus didn't want any of the things he came across, it wouldn't be an Odyssey, right? So, so in that sense, you leave, you go into the grocery store, you're leaving the shores of Troy, and you're venturing out into the Aegean Sea, and then when you when you leave the grocery store. That's when you're going home to Ithaca, right? That's when you're home to Ithaca. The cashier is all the suitors you have to shoot with the arrows uh, through the axis and through their 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 uh, their chests and stuff, and because it's like their great contention has to take place. And that's, I guess, when you go by the magazines that you realize your son is dressed in a cloak and there's sort of craziness happening. But that that's not a hero there. By the way, happy Bloomsday, gents. We did uh, we did not get a chance to celebrate that on the day. But um, happy, happy Bloomsday yeah, to you yeah. all. Yes, I said yes, I will. Yes, actually, it, it does seem a little Joycean to like to make the uh, uh, to make the the thing and the journey to the supermarket in Odyssey. I guess that's why that's why you mention it. Um, yeah, and and what is the you know the in when we read the Odyssey in ninth grade uh, in um, high school English or excerpts from I should say. Uh, that the uh, the thing we all thought was rich was the uh, it's Calypso right where he's on the island he spends all day crying on the beach longing for home and all night getting it on with Calypso in her you know goddess bed right uh, yeah. we all thought that was that w- we we were insufficiently attentive to nuance I think at the t- uh, at well, the time unpack that what's the nuance right well we, that- I think all of us are thinking about the our parents. And the the model that they've said if they've done well, you know, to the extent that they've done well or poorly with us, it has to do with kind of fidelity to each other, right? Um, is a big part of that, right? So uh, Calypso, so like we've learned that doing what Odysseus does with Calypso is wrong, but what nuance does adulthood bring into that? Well, that that. Hmm. I, I think that like the the number the number of times and ways in which you can. You almost can't help just doing the wrong thing just because, you know what I mean? Like just because it it and there without without ill will to speak, you know, without like a huge volitional component or like a choice that to do wrong. The the way that kind of life circumstances can just push you into can just push you into situations uh, where. You know, difficult shit happens. But I, I totally agree. I totally agree. And that there's a concept of doing something, like doing something on an impulse that makes you sad that you that you wish that you didn't do, which is not, which is experienced differently by adults than by children. Yeah, or or right? kind of being being kind of drawn into a pattern or drawn into kind of a cycle of behavior that you you may even at the time recognize is not good for you, but. By goodness, you're going to do it anyway. Uh, yeah, you know, at the grocery store, 
store we call that Entenmann's, I believe, is what the name. Of that is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there there are a lot of food analogs to to this. I think the term in in um, I've heard two terms. Uh, the older one is snackability. The more recent one is sessionability. Uh, foods that are highly sessionable uh, are foods where it's not like you just eat one. Uh, the food lends itself to uh, bringing on a session of eating, right? Like Fritos. It's a beer term that carries over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Fritos is uh, is one that that definitely. You know, usually they're sort of hand-sized. They're fairly homogenous, you know, um, in in shape. Uh, there's there's generally some aspect of contrast, uh, contrast of texture in the case of Fritos, because the first bite of Fritos is different from the subsequent chewing on Fritos, and then uh, they usually kind of hit that sweet spot of sugar, salt, and fat. Um, that has been, you know, painstakingly engineered to to hit all the uh, all the the good parts and right like and just like or uh, or, or Oreos is another one uh, highly sessionable um, and I think they're even sold in sleeves and like you know we, we all know that the serving size on the containers of these foods is BS and the the proper amount like is the plastic sleeve of Oreos that you kind of pull out uh this oreo obelisk right and then and then crack it open and like you know um in a certain mood you're gonna eat that whole damn thing uh and not not share it with anybody and that's and and you are odysseus like congratulations hero you know (laughs) (laughs) like you (laughs) look i'm not saying that you are saving greek culture when you eat an entire tube of of uh so in this story, this story, Odysseus gets to sit on the beach and eat Oreos all day, and all he does is cry. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> Why would he be crying when he gets to eat as many Oreos as he wants? Right. <laughs> I'm a child. I don't understand what adulthood is like. Yeah, or I'm in it. Right, exactly. Like, what adulthood is like, that's what it's like. Or... or <laughs> Or uh, even worse, like I'm an adolescent, right? And I'm I'm yeah. sort of committed to abstract ideals of of things like fairness and and uh, and haven't yet learned to kind of moderate some of the the harsh edges of of you know my demands. I have not yet had to cope with the confoundment of my sense of the sense I've made of the world. Yeah, right, exactly. right, right. And the but, world, the world yeah. not living up to my expectations. These these are these are first world problems, I suppose. These are right. first world problems. That's why they're first world problems. <laughs> that's where you find grocery stores. Although now you find them all over the world. Now grocery stores are a big thing, at least for now, right? This uh, this blooming that's taking place around the world. Sure. Um, do you think that if you only ate? So let me ask you that, about this about um say like online shopping, right? Like I know we have friends who would go on, let's just say hypothetically we had a friend that had a reminder set up on eBay that if a Grimace costume ever became available, that he would purchase it instantly, right? We have friends, hypothetically, let's say that's something that happened. Um, uh, Let's say we we know people or are people who've gone on sites like eBay or Amazon and impulse bought a a panoply of goods, uh, not services, but of of goods, of entertainments, of possessions. Uh, How much... Of, but, I mean, but but not everybody does that. I tend to only go on, I think, those kinds of sites when I really want something, like when I'm actually seeking something. And I wonder how much, what is our interaction of what we want versus what we impulse buy if the experience goes from a shelf to a search? Oh, yeah. Right? that Well, that is, I mean, that is sort of an interesting thing, right? Like you're... you're uh... I, I feel people like people buy Oreos if they buy them, you know, uh, if they search for them. Like take, versus if the Oreo is presented to you as something like a like the island of the lotus eaters just sort of appears to you out of the mist and it's full of Oreos, right? Um, yeah, well, I mean, honestly, that that like this is an interesting thing with the this is an interesting thing with the purchase of of Whole Foods, right? Like, there's been a lot of speculation online that these are going to be kind of last mile, all in one stop off distribution centers that like you can do your groceries online, and they're all. I mean, Whole Foods are in Whole Foods is are in upscale neighborhoods where you know 
people tend to have disposable income to buy things like you know Humboldt Fog or or uh, thirty dollar bottles of wine and 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 things like this. The the whole um, you know the whole point is to kind of get into these neighborhoods and get sort of Amazon goods and and things in into these neighborhoods and maybe maybe you can sort of save a little money on on delivery, which I think is the the sort of cost that's expanding uh, out of control for for Amazon as as their service becomes more and more popular. Um, the the interesting thing about that is I feel like there are different dynamics at play. Like the, the, the impulse buy of, you know, candy or gum or, or people magazine or whatever, uh, at the cash register, you know, one of the insidious, but kind of brilliant things about grocery stores as a social technology is that you, you usually go when you're hungry, right? Like you go at the end after work or something on your way home at the, at the end of the day. Right. And that, that you, and you end up, up over buying or you end up behaving in a in a more appetitive way in a less rational way um you know just if you happen to be hungry at the time that you go in and if you sort of separate that urge and, and you buy the things now and if you sort of separate in time uh those the kind of the desire and the gratification of the desire you introduce a lot of um uh, you know, potential second thoughts, uh, into the, you know, into the chain that, um, the, uh, that you're not, you know, that, that people might, I don't know, their better, better angels may, may sort of reassert themselves. Uh, this is why, I mean, I always thought this was why Amazon was getting into the, like the two hour delivery business, uh, in, in metropolitan areas and in, in big cities, you can get, uh, they call it prime now where it's, you know, you order something on Amazon and it shows up in a little Brown grocery bag, uh, in two hours. And that's, uh, you know, that's, that's more your, um, you know that's more your your kind of Oreo model rather than the like uh, rather than the considered purchase um, rather than Newman's model. own yeah which exactly. is considered Oreos <laughs> Oreos comma considered <laughs> um, I mean to, to talk about the shelf model versus the considered purchase uh, one online um, Pete I don't know about your experience but um, I, I'm constantly being uh, assaulted by suggestions to buy stuff and you know it's not browsing the shelves per se but even when i'm doing my considered or not so considered activity online um facebook and others are constantly serving me advertisements um and uh, i would be lying if i were telling you that i've never been suspect to the uh never fallen prey to the influence of those things um you know even just like the, the technology reading uh, that I that I do, um, you know, surfaced up a a a, a fancy Fender guitar amp, uh, nothing too expensive, mind you, but uh, you know, still fancy nonetheless. Um, and that, uh, you know, I, I it probably started to reoccur in uh, in those ads that track you and follow you around to different websites and suggesting that I keep buying this thing. You know what? I bought it, uh, and I don't have an ounce of regret on it because that was great. Um, but that was still the online equivalent of, uh, you know, browsing through, um, you know, wandering through the cereal aisle and those eyes looking down upon me and me succumbing to the cinnamon toast crunch. My experience of it is a little bit different. And I think it has to do with the things that I am more likely to buy online tend to be very specific. And as a result, they tend to be things that I, A, am not going to buy more than once and B, am not going to be happy to have reflected back to me. So I'm looking at, I actually brought up Amazon right now, the entire carousel and Amazon, for me, is Guy Fieri-related costume items. So apparently, so you have an alert that whenever, like, uh, uh, an Aloha shirt becomes available or something, or, like, <laughs> hair, you know, male hair bleach or something like that becomes available, that, that it, it pops up a thing for you? Not even that. It's, it's visors that have fake blonde spiky wigs attached to them, like literally a dozen different visors, two dozen, because there's one picture that's just 15, no, 14 different visors with dyed hair sticking out of the top, right? And so I'm, let me, how many visors are there? Rec- it's my Amazon recommending to me right now. 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. There are 30 visors with fake Guy Fieri hair that are all being recommended to me by the carousel at the top of my Amazon homepage. 
<laughs> and and this is no doubt determined from some sort of algorithm versus like how much time I spent looking for my Halloween costume, which was probably a lot, right? Like uh, considerably a lot. And they're like, wow, he looked at, you know, 150 different Guy Fieri costumes. He must like have bought at least 30 of them. No, like, I bought one, right? Like, and you know that I bought only one, although I did buy four individual items rather than a package. So maybe there's like a trigger or something. There's also a whole lot related to the Nintendo Switch, which I've still not been able to actually acquire. And so that just actively frustrates me. Um, and then it's a whole bunch of Subaru keychains, just dozens of Subaru keychains, because I just bought a Subaru keychain because I had lost my keys and I had to replace my Subaru keychain. So it's like, these are, these are, and the thing that is different here is that there's no Tony the Tiger, right? Like, there's no, like, when I, when you're in the cereal aisle, you've got the grape nuts and you've got the Tony the Tiger. And there's, a, there's an acknowledgement in the way that things are presented to you. Be like, this is the thing that you should want versus this is the thing that's like the impulse buy, right? And I guess wait, maybe wait. my problem with it, what's up? No, I have a Tony the Tiger that's staring me right in the face when I load up Amazon. It's a screaming ad that takes about a third of the of the website real estate for an Amazon Echo that's on sale for only $139.99, forty dollars off the regular price. That's the Tony the Tiger. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I, I, I sort of don't see how you can say there isn't a Tony the Tiger. There, there is a, a Tony the Tiger stand-in telling you that it's great. Telling you that all the diners, the drive-ins, and the dives <laughs> <laughs> are, are great. Like, but wait, you know, when, when I'm saying there's no Tony the Tiger, you know what I mean? Uh, I guess I guess not because it's straight. I mean, it strikes me that there. What, what is Tony the Tiger? It's a it's a uh, it's a sense of enthusiasm and it's a promise of belonging. And I feel like a lot of things. Uh, a lot of the like the the Tony the Tigers, you know, they're not the 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 uh, the fiercest tigers are the ones that you never see. Uh, the fiercest tigers are the most the most hidden, right? Like in that uh, that you know, Guy Fieri is almost is almost too obvious, right? Like that Subaru logo. Uh, a lot of a lot of the time, kind of brand uh, brand advertising, brand belonging, and kind of a logo standing in for that. Um, you know, uh, uh, stands in for the the uh, the Tony the Tiger. So it's not. Uh, it's maybe less. It's maybe less overt and more insidious. But I, it's it's certainly there in the the experience. Do you not see it so, that way? So, the, so the, the, I think the additional dimension here, and I I don't know if you guys have been thinking about the Frosted Winnie Me- uh, Mini Wheats commercials constantly, where it's like the adult in me wants this, wants the wheat, and the kid in me wants the frosting, which has been sort of the the raison de terre of, uh, of what we've been talking about, right? This idea of experience. I don't even know if I use that term correctly at all, even a little bit. But the Tony the Tiger isn't just an enthusiastic, an enthusiastic promise of belonging. Tony the Tiger is also a signifier that the thing that he is on is something that you want to buy but probably shouldn't and that you could buy a lot of if you wanted and you could always get more, Right. And, and that there's sort of I, I, there's these feelings associated with these sorts of uh, these sorts of products and experiences. I would say more than products and experiences, it's feelings associated with stories that you encounter when you're in the grocery space and you're on your little chariot of the soul, right? And you encounter these sort of strange creatures in the grocery store, and some of them make you promises, right? And they say, well, if you do this. Like, hey, I'm, I'm a green thing on a, on a strand, and I, you don't really know exactly what I am because somebody put the labels in the wrong order. So I, I may be a chard or I may not be a chard, but I'm something, right? I may be an alfalfa. I may be an arugula. I mean, those things don't look similar at all. But the point being that um, the experience of the sort of confusing vegetable aisle is like an encounter with a strange beast who makes you promises and, demand, and tests you, right? And, and, but if you go to the sausage aisle... Right, all of the different kinds of sausages, all the different kinds of bacon's. Right, there's like there's a promise there and an experience that that you would say, okay, you know, if you buy this bacon, you can make a lot of it, and if you buy this bacon, you can make only like a little bit of it, um, but it's going to be really good, right? Well, this bacon is is uh, is going to be weirdly flavored, and you don't really have to cook it, and and it, this isn't for you, but it's for somebody, and for them, it's perfect. Um, th- there's this sense of 
the, the, the sort of the challenge of the monster. Right, like if we think of if we think of the grocery store as an odyssey, and we think of of the brands that you encounter, the grocery or, store or as Pete, monsters. or as like a labyrinth, right? Right, yeah, yeah, exactly, a labyrinth. But that's full of like either either one, either the Henson Studios labyrinth uh, or or the Minotaur labyrinth, right? Uh, and there are monsters in the labyrinth, and the monsters dare you to do something. Um, when, just showing me things that I've bought before. Uh, even if they do are things that I have positive associations with and that are energetic, to me that doesn't tell the story of what I would do with it now. Like, what's the test? What's the promise? Is is there? Do they actually think that I need to buy like multiple Guy Fieri hats? Like, if so, why? Right? Like, like it's like, hey, have Halloween in June. You know, get another Halloween costume. Buy it early. Right? Even then, that's kind of strange, and you would want to bind it up in a symbol. Uh, but like. Amazon doesn't know that when I see a Nintendo Switch, my main reaction to it is pain, right? Um, because there is no there is because the challenge is that I have to go out on the highway in Saugus again, which I don't want to do, <laughs> like or go out drive out to Framingham, right? Or like like sit outside the uh, the Best Buy in Everett, right? And hope and hope and hope. I, what I have to do is I have to hope that if my fiance goes to try to get me one as a surprise again, she doesn't end up waiting online for more than an hour again for nothing, right? Like that's that is a the, the Nintendo Switch is like a charybdis. It's a treacherous creature <laughs> that that sucks in. All that come close to it. Um, but And part of the promise of the grocery store is that the thing that you can see is something that you can take. You can put it in your cart and you can have it, right? And, and if you have it, there's like, a, there's like a, there's an adventure that happens. There's a thing that happens. And it might be you sitting on the beach crying, eating an entire sleeve of double stuff Oreos, right? Like that, that might be the, the sort of – it might be Calypso, right? Yeah, it's interesting. There's a body of, of social science around this as well, right? Because we're more loss averse than we are sensitive to gain. So once something, um, once something is in your cart, it's unlikely to leave your cart because it's like parting with something. It's parting with your birthright to to uh, to a certain extent. I mean, yeah. I guess I guess this is interesting, right? Like the idea of the Subaru brand or the Guy Fieri brand. I guess I guess this is interesting. Yeah. Well, no, the, I mean that, uh, or ra- rather, <laughs> what I mean to say is, I guess I see your point. Uh, okay. <laughs> which is, which is interesting, I guess, um, that, uh, uh, that really the, the monster represents a challenge, you know? And if you're talking, if you're talking about brands you already identify with as like, uh, as determined by some sort of algorithmic, um, you know, shopping, uh, shopping merchandising population experience right like that that uh um that that's not uh that's not really a challenge to you but the the monster represents a challenge to you right and it's a challenge to maintain your humanity you know to not be to not be the monster or you know with tony the tiger maybe to sort of become the monster uh to become the tiger to become the the and indulge the sort of animalistic uh drives you know that uh, yeah, that just feel yeah, which may or may not include eating an entire right. box of Frosted Flakes in one sitting. Exactly. <laughs> that was more of a college thing, honestly. The like the multi bowl <laughs> sugary cereal thing. There's got to be some like you need glucose to power your brain or something like that. And after 14 hours of reading, the only thing that'll uh, you know, or an all nighter, um, an all nighter typing a paper or something like that. The only thing is, uh, the only thing that'll do it is like five, you know, five bowls of cereal, one from each bin in the, uh, in the dining hall. All right. I think it's, uh, I think it's time for us to ring up our purchases and, uh, take them out, take them out to the car and drive home to our, uh, to our suburban McMansion. Uh, but I want to thank Pete and Mark for uh, joining me in this this odyssey uh, through the labyrinth, um, you know, and uh, and uh, just stay, you know. I just like like your parent. I'm going to tell you, uh, have some grape nuts, have some kashi, have some, uh, you know. <laughs> better better yet, go old school and try to have some bacon and eggs for breakfast. Hashtag paleo. Right, like let's venture uh, ye not to the middle aisles of the grocery store, lest ye never return to your home and heart. <laughs> and it's like, oh, 
they um, have spam there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's where that's where the most calorically dense uh, foods are, and they they I need them for my nutrition. Uh, no, stay stay graze graze at the <laughs> graze graze <laughs> against the dying of the light. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> graze at the edges of the grocery store and venture ye not into the middle aisles unless it's into the the uh quote-unquote ethnic food aisle where you can find uh miso paste though though but which kind matt which kind (laughs) yeah this is we've raised more questions than we've answered i'm afraid (laughs) which is Often the sign of a often the sign of a good podcast. All right, uh, now another uh, now another bit that I try to say uh, like I'm saying it for the first time every week. But uh, thank you very much for listening. Please, uh, we'll be back with more overthinking it podcast next week uh, until then please visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to um you know uh something like a uh, level of scrutiny it, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve their great <laughs> Alexa, order as many boxes of Frosted Flakes as can possibly be charged in my credit card and get it delivered overnight. Alexa, belay that order. Alexa, belay that order. They're going to be so mad at us for that.